The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning. Wow, packed house. But before we get started, I want to think, I think we probably need to have a little quiet time, confess all the sin that happened last night during the LSU game. I think everyone just said, I got to get to church. I need some Jesus after that. But uh, wow, what a game and what a terrible evening. Tech loss, Monroe loss, LSU loss. Anybody else want to confess a loss? Your team lose? Anyone? All right, well, that's enough loss. That's over. That's behind us. God gives us all new beginnings, right? But uh, today we continue. Pardon? Who? There's always one in the group. Someone discipline him, church him right now, remove him from the flock. Well, we're continuing our study through the book of Genesis, and uh, we will see again, like Genesis. Oh, you're, you just set me up, Robert. You're going to be so a part of the sermon today. But uh, we're, gonna, we're studying Genesis, and what we've been seeing is in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, because that's what we do. We study through books of the Bible, but we're in the first book of the Bible, and that it tells us a lot of foundational truths that make sense of the rest of the Bible. So it's a really cool time to be with us studying. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis set foundation. We saw God's perfection, his people with him, worshiping him, having intimacy with him, just simply trusting and obeying. And the, the, the mission is that God says, I'm going to fill the earth with that scene. But then tragically, what we see repeated over and over is humanity stops trusting God and therefore stops obeying God. And in their disobedience, they are exiling themselves away from God and they find themselves constantly needing to be rescued and brought back to God. And that's a picture of the human nature. That's like all of us. And so we, we see these foundational themes. But then in chapter 12, we see God saying, all right, humanity needs to be saved from themselves. They're not going to provide this scene that I, I want for them. And so God says... I'm going to do it for them. And so God begins a rescue and restoration mission. But in chapter 12 and these early verses, these early chapters, we've seen that is all focused on Abram. His name later becomes Abraham. Right now in this story, it's Abram and Sarai. Later, it's Abraham and Sarah. But God says, all that you saw in the garden, restoration and rescue will come through Abraham or Abram. And so these Scenes we've been seeing is God is saving, redeeming, restoring all his goodwill through Abram and those who align themselves with Abram and the promised seed of Abram. The Bible then traces that child of Abraham all the way through these descendants. Ultimately, it's Jesus. And so we're in the early part of the story where we see these foundational truths that God's restoration for his earth, for individuals, for his people comes through Abram and his seed or his child who ultimately we know his name is Jesus. But what we've been seeing is two things. One, Abram is a picture of Jesus Christ that restoration and redemption and rescue comes to those who align themselves by faith with Jesus Christ. And we also see that Abram is a picture of the Christian. The follower of Christ is like Abram in that he has been saved in order to be sent out. He has been blessed in order to be a blessing. And so we have been having our minds challenged. Our identity has been changed that we need to start thinking of ourselves. If, if we're followers of Christ, we need to think of ourselves as Christ's missionaries. 
as God's missionaries. That's what we see. The mission of God is to fill this earth with his glory. And that's what Abram's purpose is. And we see that we, as those who have been saved by faith alone in Christ, become aligned with that mission. That like Abram, we are to be faithful missionaries. Missionaries are not just those people who God has called to foreign countries. Missionaries are everyone who is following Christ. Because if you're following Jesus, Jesus is on mission. And so if you're following him, you're on mission. And so we need to start thinking about ourselves as missionaries. Paul uses the term ambassador. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Is this how we think about ourselves? That we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. As an ambassador, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message, is that we offer people reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Verse 21, he says, for for our sake, he, Jesus, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. This is the Christmas message. That he, God, made Jesus who knew no sin, he made him to become sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. That's the gospel message, that God demands righteousness. The way you are righteous is not by your deeds or not by your merit. It's not something that you earn. It's not by religious performance. It's only by a gift that God gives to you Through faith in Jesus Christ, you get credit for Jesus' righteousness. That's the gospel message. And that's the message that we are to take as ambassadors, that anyone can have righteousness, can be declared righteous. Did you know in the Bible, that's why we're called saints? We're like, I'm not a saint. Well, you are in God's eyes if you're in Christ by faith because he sees the righteousness of Christ, he declares you a saint. That's a good thing. That's our message to be able to offer to those who need to hear it. And so we are ambassadors. And so we've been studying in Genesis, as we look at Abram, we've been studying what does it mean to be a missionary or an ambassador? What is that life like? Last week, we saw five characteristics of the life on mission with God. We saw how it's, it's hard, it's confusing, uh, it's mysterious, but it's good. And, and we see now today, instead of the characteristics of living on mission, today we're looking at three characteristics of the missionary or three characteristics of the ambassador. This is what the faithful missionary looks like. This is what we should aspire to be like. This is what we're praying, God, make us like this. This is what we see in Abram's life. So three characteristics of the faithful ambassador or missionary of God. Let's ask God to help us this morning. Lord, would you help us this morning to be what we read about in the text, that your spirit would use the word of God and these truths uh, to, to change our minds and our hearts, to give us new direction, new attitudes, that we would take on the aspects that we see in Abram, the faithful missionary. Make us faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so three attributes of the faithful ambassador. First of all, we see that Abram was compassionate, and we know this because he goes. This will make sense when we start to explain it, but he's compassionate 
because he goes. In verse 14 through 16, we read, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them. And when he went in pursuit as far as Dan, and he divided the forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them and he pursued them all the way north of Damascus. And then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and all the people. So in these verses, we see there's this scene going on and we've been working through Genesis. So let me kind of catch you up with where we are in the story. I, I didn't read to you chapter 13 and in the following verses that led up to this, but what happened was, remember who's been hanging out with Abram, his nephew Lot. Lot's living with his uncle, Uncle Abe, and Sarai, and they're traveling around, and they've been journeying that God finally got them to his land of Canaan, the promised land. And God told Abram, this is the place I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a nation. A nation is a bunch of people living in a land governing by their leader, and God is going to be their king. And so Abram and Sarah, who are barren, were told this is going to be your land, and you're going to have a nation of people born out of you. But this is your land. And so the other promise God made in Genesis was, Abram, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. In other words, all my blessings and restorations are going to come through Abram. And what we see in the life of Abram is physical pictures of spiritual realities that we learn about in the New Testament. That in Abram, God's blessings will be provided. In the seed of Abram, Jesus, God's spiritual blessings come to us. But what we notice is those who aligned with Abram were blessed. This is to show us that those who trust in the seed of Abram will be blessed spiritually. But Lot has been getting absolutely rich physically as he's been hanging out with Abram. And that's to show us God's word is true. This doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, you're going to get absolutely rich. You will get absolutely rich spiritually. And so what we see is Abram made a tragic decision. He did what we keep seeing humans doing, human nature does over and over and over as we've been reading the Bible. Lot thought he had a better plan than God. God said, be in promised land. That's the place of blessing. Align yourself with Abram. That's the place of blessing. And what does Lot do? Well, Lot's so rich and has so much cattle and so many possessions that he and Abram get, get, uh, start running into each other and they need to separate. But what we're going to see here tragically is Lot separates away, so far away, he leaves the promised land and he finds himself in a bind because the king's of the north come down, and this is all in chapter 13, and they capture and conquer the kings of the south, and those kings include the king of Sodom where Lot is. And Lot ends up being captured by the nations. And guess what the author points out the nation is? Specifically, it's Babylon. And what do we learn in the Tower of Babel? Babel represents the godless nations. And so we have this scene repeated over and over again. We have Lot captured in the godless nations and then God has to go and rescue him out in order to bring restoration to his life. This is the picture of the gospel. We all are born captured by the nations in our sin. God has to rescue us by the seed of Abraham and Jesus. And that's where we find restoration. 
So the scene has been set and Lot hears, I mean, Lot is captured by the nations and Abram gets word. Someone escapes from the the captivity and says, hey, Abram, Lot has been captured. So let me ask you this. How would you respond? How would you respond when you hear your nephew Lot, who brought this on himself, as we will see in a minute, he made his choice. He's been getting rich off my back, off my family money, and he sees the party going on in Sodom, and he says, I'm out of here. I'm going to Sodom. Word comes back, Lot is in trouble. What do I say? Good for Lot. Sleep in the bed you made. Don't come to me with that. You're just like your daddy was. That's what we want to say. Do we invite him to Christmas dinner? No. Compassion is not our default response. I would be thinking about Genesis 13, 15. Lot, who went with Abram, who had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support them. In other words, he was getting rich off of hanging out with Abram. Lot chose for himself. We see this in verse 11 in chapter 13. They looked at the land. The land was beautiful. I'll start in verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes. He saw the Jordan Valley was watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. In the direction of Zor. And then the author makes a note in parentheses. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's a foreshadowing going on here. Verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. And Lot journeyed east away from the promised land. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, the promised land, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley. And he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And Lot chose for himself to go there. Word comes to Abram. Lot's in a bind. How does Abram respond? He has compassion. How do we know he had compassion? Because he goes. When you have God's compassion for others, you go. As the ambassadors of Christ, God calls us to have his compassion for others. We're told in verse 16, Abram brought back all the possessions, 14, 16, all the possessions and brought back all of his kinsmen, Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. This is a picture of total restoration. Now, the fact that it was 318 men that went with Abram, that may sound like a lot, but it's not. The reason the author mentions the exact number is to make the very opposite point that this was not Lot doing this. This was not Abram doing this. This was God doing this. That he went up against four kings and all of their armies and he won and he got Lot back. So the point is this, this is God's rescue of Lot. So the point is this, God had compassion for Lot, though he well knew, well and good, that Lot chose this path. Lot saw the party going on in Sodom and said, that's where I want to go. Though God said, that's not my will for your life, I want you here, 
Lot chose for himself to say, I got a better plan for my life. Just like Adam and Eve had a better plan for their life. Just like everyone in their generation after generation between Adam and Lot. The story is the same. We as humans, every single one of us, I am guilty of constantly thinking, I've got a better plan than God for my life. And yet God has compassion for Lot. So God goes and God rescues and God restores through Abram. And that's the gospel. And that's the only way you and I are going to have compassion for the lots in our life. You see, the problem is this. We look at these stories. When you read the story, are you like me? And I put myself in someone's shoes. I, I'm Abram. I'm the hero of the story. I'm the one that only needed 318 men to go in and get Lot who deserved nothing. But what the Bible says is, Tracy, you're not Abram, you're Lot. Y'all aren't Abrams either, y'all are Lot. We're all Lots. And we're the ones that foolishly make these decisions, foolishly thinking we've got a better plan and then deserving, getting what we deserve, captured by Babylon, needing rescue. And God, in his grace, pursues us. One old theologian called him, the hounds of hell come after us. That he comes to save us. Save us from our, what we deserve. And so, that's where we find compassion for someone who does us wrong repeatedly. For someone who has created this mess and has to live with what they've brought upon themselves. God calls us to be compassionate towards others because he has been incredibly compassionate towards us. He sent Christ to come and get us. Now, I'm not, I, in my illustration, I'm using someone like Lot who makes bad decision after bad decision. That doesn't mean there's no place for tough love. Doesn't mean we don't have to make tough decisions on how to handle a person like that. But the point is this, in all situations, compassion and desire to bring rescue and restoration should be what governs our decisions. We can never just write someone off. So let me ask you this. It's Christmas. There is someone in your life that you cannot think of anything worse than spending four hours over dinner with them. Have you lost compassion for that person? Is God saying invite them to Christmas dinner? How, how can you, as an ambassador of Christ, which means an ambassador of grace, an ambassador of compassion, how can we write anybody off? Who is God calling you to invite to Christmas dinner? Who is God calling you to make a phone call? Maybe they'll turn you down again. Maybe they'll snub you again. Maybe they'll do something that just makes you even more want to, want to not invite them. But God's calling you to compassion. Maybe there's someone who needs to be at that moment where you and your family hold hands around Christmas meal and you pray the real meaning of Christmas, that Jesus Christ was born in a manger to come and die for our sins, that we may have life. And maybe that'll melt away some of the barrier. Who is God calling you to be compassionate towards this Christmas season. We see not only is he compassionate, but he's also committed. 
Listen to verses 17 through 20. After his return, so Abram's coming back from the, the victory. He's defeated. He's returning from the defeat of Ched. We're going to call him Ched. It's a lot easier. Returning from the defeat of Ched and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, and then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. So Abram's coming back from his victory, and he meets two kings, the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. And Abram's response to these two kings reveals a whole lot about Abram and how we should live as the ambassadors of Christ. First, we see he meets the king of Salem, who is called Melchizedek. We really don't know much about this Melchizedek character except for what this tells us here. His name is means, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He's said to be the king of Salem. Salem means peace. So he's the king of righteousness and peace. And then in verse 18, the author is very careful to point out in a parenthetical reference, he was priest of God most high. And he gives credit to God uh, for Lot's rescue. And when he does, he uses this phrase that he is the possessor of heaven and earth. So this portrait of Melchizedek is incredibly powerful of this priest king who gives, who is the king and priest of righteousness and peace, who gives God the possessor of heaven and earth, which is what the first 12 books, 12 chapters of the book have been telling us God is. He's the creator, the possessor of heaven and earth. He gives him credit for Lot's rescue. The writer of Hebrews talks about this guy when he's explaining who Jesus is. He says, Jesus is a priest in the line of Melchizedek. He says, he's not like any other priest. Just like we don't know where Melchizedek came from, we don't know where Jesus came from in the sense that he has eternally, he, he eternally existed. And just like we aren't told when Melchizedek died, this is all in Hebrews, he says, Jesus never dies. And so he comes from the priesthood of Melchizedek, not the priesthood of Aaron or the Levites. And then he makes this point. And if you haven't understood a word I'm saying, it's okay. It's strange stuff. But here's the point. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is a better priest. He's the mediator of a better covenant that he alone can provide salvation. He's the descendant of Abraham and he alone can save his people and provide total restoration to whoever trusts in him. Trust in Jesus. Every word of scripture whispers the name of Jesus. And so we come back to our text and we see in verse 20, how does Abram respond to this priest king of righteousness and peace who says that God, the possessor of heaven and earth, saved Lot? How does Abram respond? Verse 20, Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is called a tithe. Tithe means 10%. So in response to God's incredibly gracious work in his life, Abram says here, God, 10% of everything goes to you. Now, this is a very interesting passage because as a pastor, I get the question a lot. Are we supposed to tithe? Do I have to give 10%? And the answer hasn't changed, but this text has been very interesting to me this week because 
the question of a tithe often goes back to the fact that in the law that God gave Moses, which is six or 800 years after Abram, the question is, in the law that God gave Moses for Israel, there was mention of his people should tithe 10%. But we don't live under the law. We live under Jesus' grace. Do I have to give 10%? And usually the smart aleck answer is, do you want to be blessed or not? Do I do 10% of my net or my gross? Do you want to be blessed on the net or do you want to be blessed on the gross? That's not a good answer. The real answer should come from right here. So what we see is Abram lived six or 800 years before the law. So he had no inkling about this concept of a law that said you got to give 10%. He just gave 10% because he had a cheerful heart. He desired to give because he had been given so much by God. And so the response is to give a tithe in Abram's case. In fact, John Selhammer looks at this whole passage about all this description of his warfare and this tithe, and he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 20 and Numbers 18, and he says, Abram is fulfilling the letter of the law to a T before the law was ever given. He is a picture of a man who lives by faith. And the Bible says that a man who lives by faith fulfills the law of God. Not because he has to, but because that's what faith produces. And so Abram is a man who out of just blown away by the grace of God says here, 10% of everything is yours, God. So he is committed to God. He is committed to God's purposes and God's glory and God's mission. And we see that because he gives cheerfully. The New Testament tells us to do the same in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul says this, the point is this. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Listen to this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God wants you to want to give. Now, we don't gravitate towards this. We gravitate towards wanting to keep and hold on. But God says, as you recognize my grace in your life, as you realize that your lot and I gave everything to come and get you, that my son Jesus gave his life, that you might have life, as you appreciate that, as you meditate on that, as you read my Bible and see the story, and see that you're Lot and you're not Abraham, you start to realize how grateful you are for God's grace. And that produces generosity. That produces a cheerfulness to give towards God's causes and God's purposes. And so, yes, we should give. But what this text also tells us that Paul says, God will give you all that you need to be able to give all that you want. God will give you all that you need to be able to give all that you want to give. How much do you want to give to the cause of Christ? Are you really committed 
It's revealed in the way we spend our money. That tells us what we're committed to. But it shouldn't be because you have to, because you got to. You may start out that way, but if you're like me, you'll learn over time. At first, it's a discipline. It wasn't until my wife and I finally set it up on auto draft. That's how desperate we are for discipline. We set it up on auto draft and we said, all right, we're going to do this so that we stop coming home from church every Sunday going, oops, I forgot again. And now I got two weeks or four weeks or a month and we're behind. Oh, well, let's just start over. Forget all that. And auto debit did it for us. And then the joy came. We learned the joy. God gave us cheerful hearts. This is not coming from us needing money from, as a church. This is coming from God's word saying that as you realize the grace that God has given you, you find yourself ready to give towards God's causes. We're going to make it easy for you in two weeks to, to give towards God's causes. You're going to come in. There's going to be an envelope on every chair, and it's a Lottie Moon envelope. Not one penny of that goes to us. Not one penny that goes to any other organization. Every dime put in an envelope on that day will go directly to missionaries who are in Africa and everywhere else all over the world who have given their entire life to say, my life exists to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. So be praying about that. God, I want to give cheerfully. How much can I cheerfully give? So yeah, we've asked you to give to the budget. We've asked you to give to the building fund. And we're asking you to give to the mission. But the point is this. You can't outgive God. God says, I give you all you need to be able to give all that you want to give. How much do you want to give towards God's work? Meditate on the gospel. He'll give you a cheerful heart to give toward his causes. So not only is Abram compassionate, he goes. He's committed. He gives. Finally, he's careful. He glorifies. Look at verse 21 through 24. In verse 21, Abram's response to the king of Sodom. This is that second king. It says in verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abram, gimme, 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 gimme. Very different than what the first king of Melchizedek said. He said, praise God, praise God. This king says, give me the persons, but I'll give you all the goods. How did Abram respond to this one? Abram said in verse 22 to the king of Sodom, I lifted my hand to the Lord, to the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say that you made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have already eaten and the share of the men who went with me. So how does Abram respond to the king of Sodom? He says, I don't want anyone thinking that you are my treasure. I want God getting all the glory. You didn't make me rich. God makes me rich. Abram is careful to make sure that his life glorifies God. Abram is careful to say, look, and think about what Abram sacrificed here. This man, this king was offering him all untold wealth, untold riches, untold riches. And Abram says, that's not as important to me as bringing glory to God is. He treasured God's glory above the possessions of this earth. Man, that is a hard lesson to learn. Every day, 
These things on this earth are trying to capture my heart's affections and more times than not, I give in. I set my affection on this world and the things this world has to offer and I pray, God, help me to be more like Abram. Help me to be able to say the wealth of this world is not more important to me than God getting glory in my life. That should be our prayer, church, is people who have been captivated by the the glory of God and the grace of God and his lavished, his goodness upon us that we should say, God, you've saved me. Of course, I'm gonna give you glory. I would never sacrifice that. Perhaps you could think about this in terms of a business deal. Would you be willing to forego an incredibly lucrative business deal, but it would require compromise in your life? What's more important to us, the the, the glory of God or the treasures of this world? Abram said, I want everyone to know it is God who makes me rich. God is more valuable. His glory is more valuable to me than untold riches. Do we have that same kind of attitude? Have we grasped the treasure of the gospel in our own lives? Do we see it so valuable, God's so good that we would never ever compromise that we would say God's glory is worth it. Lord, help us be that way. First Timothy, Paul tells us in first Timothy 6, 17, as for the rich in this present age, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't we all need to hear that? Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches because it can be gone like that. But set your hopes on God who richly provides us with just a few things. Who richly provides us with everything. Every good gift comes from the Lord. I made that money, okay. Let's see how that works for you. Every good gift comes from the Lord. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Tell them that they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Take hold of that which is truly life. The implication is the money, the possessions, all the things this world has, that's not truly life. This is another opportunity for us to put ourselves in Lot's shoes. I see the green grass. But God says this, which will I choose? God says, I'm telling you, that's not truly life. Life, meaning, purpose, joy, lasting, it's not gonna be found in that. So let go of it. Don't treasure it. Don't put your hope in it. Put your hope in God, who, by the way, has richly provides us with everything we need to be able to give whatever we want to give. Would you be willing to do this in your own life? 
This text is asking us that question. Are you willing to be an ambassador for Christ? In all of this, we've seen God rescues Lot by Abram. That's the main point of this narrative. The Bible makes it clear. God rescues sinners through Abram's descendant, Jesus Christ. You are given the righteousness of God as a gift by faith in Christ. When you stand before God on judgment day and he says, now why should I let you where only righteous people come and you start to tremble? You say, because I'm taking you at your word that you said Jesus's righteousness is mine as a gift by faith. And he says, absolutely. I'm a man of my word. Come on in. And then upon realizing the amazement of that grace, we are committed to his purposes. We're careful to give him glory in our lives. And we give towards his causes of spreading that glorious grace to the ends of the earth. And we go to that person who needs to know Jesus. And we go to that person who we want to write off and we try again to keep that reconciliation between us. Father God, we ask that you would help this to be true of us, Lord. All of us fall short of this every day. I am the first to confess that that there are so many places in my life that I need you to work in my heart. Lord, would you do the same for all of us? Everyone here who, who claims to be followers of Jesus Christ, who knows that they're only saved by grace through faith in Jesus and not through their own works or their religion that all of us would be compassionate to go, committed to give, and careful to glorify your name with our lives. As we sing this song, and the Lord is pressing on your heart to make a decision, either to commit your life to Christ for the first time or to recommit your life to follow him in a more faithful way, Just do business with the Lord. At the end of the service, I'm always up front, ready to visit with anybody who needs to talk. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norsferrychurch.org.